Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Welcome to another episode of Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli. You know, the financial services industry has fashioned itself into an overly complex machine in an effort to cause confusion, encourage mistakes, and justify fees, all to the benefit of its own bottom line. And you know, that reminds me of a quote from Donald Trump, and he said, sometimes your best investments are actually the ones you don't make. So today's show is about financial advice, financial planners, Wall Street, and really, who do you believe? So my guest today is Brent Sutherland from Intellivest, and Brent has worked in financial services for over 11 years, both in the corporate accounting and investment world, and he has a boutique financial planning business today. His objective is to help individuals turn off the noise and challenge the traditional approach to financial planning and thinking. So with that, welcome to the show, Brent. Marco, thank you for having me. As you know, I'm a follower of your podcast, so it's an honor for me to be on. Well, I appreciate that, and I'm glad to have you on because you're really the first financial advisor I've had on the show, and you know, sometimes we poke fun at financial advisors and really at their expense just because of what they do, what they say, and what they sell, and you know, I think there's a certain place in the world for financial advisors, but at the same time, I don't necessarily agree with everything they sell and the advice they give. So, you know, let's begin with you. Tell us who you are and exactly what you do, please. Okay, absolutely. Yes, I am a financial advisor. And I know that can be more of a dirty word, so to speak, in the real estate investment community. And that's specifically because most financial advisors you talk to do not recommend that you invest in real estate assets. We can talk about the reasons for that here in just a little bit, but I'm a little bit of a different breed. And my evolution happened because really, I was looking at what some of my clients were doing in their own world that was very lucrative for them. And I tried to apply it to my own individual situation. And really, it kind of spawned me to want to try to do things a little bit different in the planning arena as well. So I started about 12 years ago, and I went through the accounting taxes planning, and then I also went into investment analysis. And then I jumped into working with individuals one-on-one with their financial picture. Now, it stood out to me pretty clearly early on that there were certain individuals who really had it together. And I wanted to dig in to those individual clients and just see exactly what it was that they were doing. And I noticed after kind of evaluating them to a higher degree that there was a commonality between those individuals that were really successful and those that weren't. And I noticed that the ones that were very successful were those that, one, either had started a business for themselves and grew that business to be very successful, or two, over time, they had grown a significant portfolio of real estate assets. Now, what happened in both these situations is those business or the real estate provided a nice stream of cash flow to them that allowed them to have both independence in both their lives and in their finances. And I think that shown through in the way they carried themselves in everyday life. Now, this, of course, intrigued me. And I wasn't at the point in my career to start a business per se at that point, but I did want to dig in and learn a little bit more about real estate. So I started educating myself and I was reading books, going to online sources, and then listening to podcasts such as this one. And it still took me a little while. I think every new investor goes through that analysis paralysis mode, which I was stuck in for a little bit. But once I bit the bullet and bought that first property, and really once you get that first rental income check come in, it kind of hits you. You're like, wow, this is almost magic. This actually works. And so the snowball effect kicked in. That one property turned into two, turned into three, turned into four. And now I have eight properties underneath my belt and I'm eager to purchase more. But what happened is through this process, I'm excited about what I'm doing in my own personal financial economy, but yet I'm sitting across the table with clients and I'm advising them on their finances 
And I'm really giving them guidance that it's conflicting with what I'm doing in my own world. So I felt a bit like a hypocrite. And maybe even worse, when you're excited about something like this and you are investing in real estate, and I think everyone who does invest in real estate knows what this bug feels like, you want to share that with people. And I felt really bad, but I couldn't share that energy with my clients and tell them about real estate and try to get them involved just because the structure of the company I was at did not allow it. And unfortunately, that happens with a lot of advisors out there. So it really forced my hand. I had to go out, start my own business so I could structure my company a little bit differently so I didn't have the conflicts of interest. And I can open up a whole new world to clients and show them, okay, take that step toward real estate and maybe this will paint a better picture and a better path for you going forward. So that's kind of where I am today. I guess you can say I'm an evolved advisor. So advisor 2.0 at this stage. Yeah, you're somewhat unusual as a financial advisor because you love real estate, you believe in it, and you you invest in it. You know, that kind of separates you from a lot of other financial advisors, probably most of them. And the fact that you have accumulated a portfolio of eight properties now, you see the benefits, you're enjoying it as an asset class, you're taking the benefits from it as an investment. But yeah, I can see the dilemma, the stress of sitting in front of your clients, other investors, and wanting to talk to them and share your own personal experience with real estate, yet you might have one or both hands tied behind your back because of the brokerage or the company that you're affiliated with. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. That makes it tough. So obviously you like real estate. Do you want to talk about why you like real estate? Talk about the importance of it and the reasons. And then maybe if you don't mind, just take us real quick at you know a 50,000 foot level of one of your investment properties. Because I know one of them that you'd purchased was $85,000. So yeah. talk about that. Yeah. And I'll just kind of go into why I believe in real estate as an investment first and foremost is that creation of passive income it sets the foundation beneath you where you just have this sense of financial security that not many other investments can provide you. And there's this sense of financial independence where you can achieve that much earlier in life that sets in, and it's completely accurate. And if you look at the financial services industry in the planning arena, there's this rule of thumb out there. We call it the 4% rule. And in essence, what it's saying is by the time you hit retirement, if you start pulling out about 4% of your portfolio assets and then adjust that for inflation each year going forward, that should be able to sustain you throughout your retirement. So in essence, what that means, that 4% rule, is that you have to look at your expenses today and multiply that by 25. That'll give you the 4%. If you save that amount of money, then you should be able to retire. Now, that 4% rule, if you look at what you can achieve in real estate, and it shouldn't be too difficult to find a a property that's going to give you maybe an 8% cash-on-cash return that'll generate passive income back to you. Now, already, just looking at 8% versus the 4%, you're kind of having the amount of time that you would normally, under the traditional sense, have to save for retirement to get to that point that gives you that financial independence number. So that alone is very, very powerful. You just think of that. You might be saving for 30 years under the traditional sense, but if you start investing in passive assets such as real estate that can give you a larger cash flow back in your pocket, you could half that amount of time that it will take you to get to that point where you can either establish your own business or just sit back and enjoy family, friends, and whatever you want to do in life. So I think the power in just that passive income, it really tells a good story by itself. Now, as far as my own properties, I had one that I outlined on my website, and it was an $85,000 purchase, and that property was giving me $1,150 in rent in return. Now, after all expenses, and that's including setting aside some money, some escrow money for future capital expenditures, that property was giving me about a 12% cash on cash return. Now, I gave you an 8% figure just to compare versus that four, but that 12%, try finding that anywhere else in in any kind of traditional investment vehicle, and you're going to have to be taking on so much risk that structure is probably going to be leveraged. So again, it's just going to provide this roller coaster of a ride for you uh, going forward, but property does not do that for you. 
Now, once you start adding in the tax benefits, hopefully there's some appreciation on the property, and then someone else is also paying down your principal, that real return, and I'm looking at the cash on cash, I just referenced of 12%, that real return almost doubles to about 24%. Now, that's just in the investment industry, and from my stance, looking at the traditional sense of what investments can provide you in rate of return, that's just astronomical. And that's something you can only really received through real assets such as real estate. So I think everyone needs to take a look at it. That was beautifully said. And I think if you were to talk to many of your clients or people that are invested in Wall Street and you told them about 12, 24, 32% total (laughs) rates of return, they would say that's too good to be true. That's unbelievable. Or what kind of a scheme is that? You just don't see those returns out there with paper assets. Not at all. And it's a shame that this is not promoted more. But the thing is, too, I think everyone needs to understand that there's this education that needs to go into before you purchase that you need to understand what you're actually buying. And that's something that you do, I know, with Narada, with your clients, too. Make sure that the properties they're buying actually fit their goals. Now, I'm very much a cash flow oriented investor when it comes to real estate. Some other people out there, I know they play the appreciation game, but I much prefer cash flow. But make sure you buy that property that's going to give you that cash flow in return. And those returns will pile up for you. And I think that 12% cash on cash figure, you know, that might be on the high end, but I think you can find those properties out there. So I encourage people to educate themselves and do your due diligence up front. You won't have to worry so much in the long run about whether or not that's going to be a lucrative property for you. Yeah, that's true. Education is critically important. And when you're getting started, you know, that first property might not be overly exciting. The first couple of months of that first property is not overly exciting. You know, getting a check in the mail for two, three, four hundred dollars each and every month. That's great, but it's only a starting point. But when you start to magnify that across multiple properties over time and you see your rents going up, your cash flow going up, your net worth increasing, then it starts to become more and more exciting. And I like to tell investors, look at what the real rates of return are day one, make sure the deal makes sense, but then look back a year from now to two years from now, five years from now, and see what you've created in terms of cash flow, the size of your portfolio, your equity growth, then it becomes really exciting and starts to make sense. So it's just a matter of education, doing it and time for it to compound and grow on you. Absolutely. So let's take a minute or two here. Let's take some time and talk about financial advisors and why they really don't discuss real estate investing. I understand the conflict, but drill down into that a little bit because I want to understand it better, but I want the listeners to understand why they're talking to a financial planner, a financial advisor, anyone in that space, why they're not having these conversations about investment real estate. Oh, I'd love to dig into this one because this one is really a hot button topic for me. I've seen what works out there and I've seen what doesn't work and I see people doing things the incorrect way. And really, there's a lot of advisors out there. Some of them are crooks. I think it's just like any other industry. So you have to be aware. But I think the reason why advisors in general do not give advice or do not recommend real estate as a holding is really just because the traditional compensation structure does not allow for it. It's not lucrative for these advisors to recommend that clients go into real estate holdings because it's not going to pay them anything back in their pocket. For example, if you look at probably the two largest compensation structures that are out there for financial advisors, one, and this is a little bit more old-fashioned, but it still exists, unfortunately, but you have that commission-based compensation structure. So that's an advisor, really a salesman, who goes out and they recommend products for their clients 
But when they sell these products to their clients, they get a nice fat commission in return. The problem here is there's so many conflicts of interest, you never quite know whether that product's in the best interest of you, the client, or if it was just in the best interest of fattening their wallet. So there again, if you're ever talking to someone, if you're ever seeking guidance and you find out the advisor that you're looking at is working off of a commission structure, I would just highly recommend searching for someone else because there's just way too many conflicts to overcome there. Now, the other compensation structure, and this is probably the more predominant one, is the assets under management model, the AUM model. And basically what this entails is that someone invests your money, so liquid assets that you do have, they'll take your cash, put it into a pool, a portfolio of investments such as stocks, bonds, etc., and they'll manage that money for you. More traditional assets, more of the stocks, the liquid types of investment structures. But what they do is they'll charge a percentage fee based on the total assets that they're managing for you. And typically, this fee averages about 1%. So if you have a half a million dollar portfolio, that advisor is going to get it paid about $5,000 a year. And this is better than the commission-based compensation structure for sure. But what happens here too is there's still not much incentive for the advisor to recommend you go out and purchase real estate or other types of vehicles that don't fit nice and tidy within that portfolio that they're going to manage for you. So you have to keep these things in mind when you're looking at advisors. And there was a gentleman I worked with at a prior firm, and he always told me in business, if you're looking to understand the motivations behind the people you're dealing with, said, always look at the money flow, the money trail. And I think his exact quote was, the money trail never fails. So if you want to see where the motivations are with who you're working with, just look at their compensation. If it doesn't line up or there's some conflicts, you know, maybe take a step back and continue your search because you don't want to jump into something where the vision and the values aren't aligned with what yours are. Is there such a thing as a financial advisor that's paid on performance? There is in the hedge fund industry, and they call it the two and 20 rule where well, they charged 2% no matter what. And then if they earned a profit for you, they took 20% of those profits. Now that's it's a pretty hefty fee, but it's kind of going by the wayside now. I think now the industry is leaning more towards a very transparent model, which is pretty much, it's either an hourly fee or just a fee per service that the advisor is going to perform for you. What about the level of knowledge that these financial advisors have or don't have? Well, when it comes to real estate investing, unfortunately, it's very minimal. And that's just a function of the traditional education system that we have in place. So, I mean, look, I'm a child of the traditional financial education system. I'm a certified financial planner practitioner. I've been through the coursework. There was not a single item that addressed real estate investing or how to invest in certain locations, looking at the economic conditions of a certain area. So that's just just not something that's taught. So unless an advisor is proactive and goes out and tries to educate themselves on the subject matter, really chances are that person that you're going to deal with, if you're looking at a financial advisor looking to go to someone for guidance, is going to be very, very minimal. Well, that reminds me of the traditional and public school systems today. There's very little, if any, financial education, and that's one of the most important things we should be teaching our kids, yet it's completely lacking from the school system, and it's up to the parents to educate their kids on money. And that's a problem, too, you know, because let's face it, most adults really don't have a good financial education. And even if they do, it's often kind of an old school mode of thinking, you know, save your money, save for retirement, you know, go to school, get a good job, save for the long term. I mean, those things don't work today. No, you know, it's it's sad. I think probably the biggest hurdle I see with most people I work with is they just don't even have a budget. You know, it comes down to sometimes just as basic as knowing what your expenses are, what your income flows are and what your outflows are. A lot of people don't have that. One thing I wanted to touch on about the education of the financial services industry is that I do have hope 
that maybe the future is going to be brighter for some of these professionals that are coming up and through the educational system because I noticed there's a couple of undergraduate programs that focus on financial planning that have added in a concentration if the student so chooses to focus on real estate investing. And that's really new. It's just come onto the marketplace. But I hope that becomes a more common occurrence in some of the universities across the country to be determined. Right. Well, we'll keep our fingers crossed and see what happens. Yeah. So the two biggest reasons why financial advisors don't discuss real estate investing is there's a conflicting compensation structure. It's really just not in their best interest. And second is a lack of knowledge or a huge lack of knowledge. Spot on. I couldn't say it any better. You just summed it up perfectly. Okay. Well, I'm just taking the words right out of your mouth here. So, (laughs) okay. So now I know you talk about diversification, but you separated into income diversification versus portfolio diversification. What's the difference and why do you say one is more important than the other? Well, I think, and I'm sure some listeners here have had conversations with a financial advisor. Maybe you currently do have a financial advisor. I can guarantee you every conversation you have with that advisor, the term diversification is going to come up. And in general sense, it's going to come up in reference to the portfolio that they're managing for you. And they're going to say, okay, you need a certain percentage of your portfolio to be in equities, stock market. And within that equity portion of your portfolio, you want to have a certain amount in U.S. assets and you want to have a certain amount in international assets. And on the bond side as well, you want to diversify between the holdings there. Now, that's fine. You need to have diversification in your portfolio. But if I take a step back and I look at someone's full financial picture, where are the real risks? Now, most of the time, a person loses a job or their spouse loses a job or there's a health event where they have to step away from work. That's the biggest risk to them. If you lose that W-2 income, who cares whether or not your portfolio you have with that advisor is well diversified or not, you're going to be in trouble. So I think if you can establish in your life other sources of passive income that are supplementing what your day job is providing you, you're going to be much better off if you do have to face a catastrophic event or some kind of health event. So you can protect and provide for you and your family, no matter what the situation or what curveball life deals you. I think that primarily is probably the biggest risk that most people have is just loss of income. And so generating these little side hustles and real estate and other things are going to provide you the security that you need to go forward if something does come your way. You know, Warren Buffett says that diversification is really just protection against ignorance. And, you know, a lot of people call diversification diversification because you're actually worsening your position by spreading yourself across multiple investments or multiple assets in the hopes that some of them do well when others don't. But the reality is, is if you can focus on a few that you know will do well and you, you understand, you'll actually be further ahead down the road than you will be just trying to diversify across multiple assets. I've also heard it said that a lot of financial planners will suggest diversifying across a bunch of paper assets or investments because they really don't know where any particular investment is going to be in six months or 12 months from now. I mean, they flat out don't know because they don't have any control over it and you don't have any control over it. So it's really just a hope that you're going to pan out better a year from now by diversifying across different assets than you will be if you stick to just one. Is that true? That's very true. And to provide a little bit of honesty and color to that answer, too, I think it's a way for advisors to cover their tail a little bit, too. So down the road, you're spread so thin 
that not everything's going to perform poorly, but not anything's going to perform great either. So you always have a story to tell and you're never going to be tanking, but you're never going to be shooting and hitting home runs either. So it's, it's just a way of covering your rear end sometimes to that extent as well. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That makes a lot of sense because at the end of the day, they can't tell you exactly which stock or mutual fund is going to be a good or strong investment for you. So they just tell you to buy a bunch of them and they know that some won't do very well, but others will. And so at the end of the day, you're still average or maybe less than average. (laughs) I'm (laughs) not sure. More times than not, less than average. You know, an issue I see with a lot of advisors too, that charge on the assets they're managing, oftentimes they have to justify their fees. So they feel like they need to trade to show that they're doing some things. Right. And sometimes they just don't stick with the time-tested just buy and hold strategy and they're turning the portfolio more than it needs to turn. And again, that has repercussions towards the downside for performance within the account. So uh, yeah, that justification of your fee sometimes works against you as well. So I'm not sure if you answered this, but why is income diversification more important than portfolio diversification? I think just because if you're looking at where the risks really lie, if someone were to lose a job, that's going to really bankrupt them and really set a situation up where they might not have monies to provide for their family. And it really just provides more of a stressor than portfolio diversification ever will. So you could be 100% in the S&P 500. Over the long term, that investment is probably going to do decent. But if you lose your job and you don't have any other sources of income, that provides a catastrophic event for you and your family. So I think you need to diversify your income streams, make sure you have more coming in than just what your W-2 is providing you. And really, I mean, you might go into work and your boss might decide, you know what, I don't want you working here anymore. That's completely out of your control. Why not set up some more streams that you actually own, that you do control? And so if that event ever were to happen, that there's something there. There's something there at least to pay the bills. Yeah, I totally agree. And and what I hear when I think about income diversification versus portfolio diversification, to me, having a portfolio, whether it's stocks, bonds, mutual funds, or real estate, often what that leads to is capital gains. In other words, it's equity growth over time. That's all well and fine, but that equity doesn't pay the bills. But when you look at income diversification, what we're really talking about is cash flow. That's synonymous to income. So talking about having a check in the mail every month, that is what you can take and use today. It's tangible and you can actually pay your bills and cover your living expenses and live your lifestyle. So income diversification just means that you have multiple sources of income. You have that cash flow coming in every month. And I would agree with you that cash flow is king. And so having that income is better than, at least immediately, it's better than having that portfolio growth and that portfolio diversification. Absolutely. And if you're looking to retire early, if you're looking to you know, have a little bit more financial independence earlier in life, most of the time your portfolio assets are tied up into some of these products and these IRAs. So these retirement vehicles, which have rules in place that don't allow you to pull money out early. So you have that hurdle going against you as well. So when you develop these cash flow streams that are current, that are happening now, again, and we talked about this earlier, that just provides the opportunity for you to achieve that financial independence number, that year, that threshold much earlier in life. Yeah. Brent, you know, sometimes I get into these conversations with people. I'm thinking of one person in particular. He's my cousin. And, you know, we get into these debates of what's better, investing in the stock market or investing in income real estate. And he's pretty much a paper guy. You know, he likes the paper assets. He's a speculator. He likes to roll the dice and go for the home run. He doesn't like that slow and steady growth. So you're kind of an interesting guy to ask this question because you have your feet on both sides of 
the line here. But what would you say the advantages are of positive cash flow real estate over the stock market? I could probably answer this for you, but I want to hear it from you. Well, first and foremost, and I alluded to this a little bit earlier too, is I think with cash flow positive real estate, those returns, and if you're focusing on the cash flow that's coming back in your pocket, those returns are much more in your control than what you're going to see if you throw your money into the stock market. Now, those returns over the long haul, if you are one of these people that is really disciplined and you put your money into maybe an emerging markets stock fund, which has a lot of volatility, but if you hold it for 20 years, maybe you get a pretty decent return. But you know what happens with most people? It's just human nature. We have emotions that go into money like that. And when, you, when you're playing the appreciation game, you're playing, okay, I'm going to put in money now, thousand bucks. I want this to grow over time. And you're constantly monitoring those prices. That just causes such a stress on you that you start acting irrationally. And more often than not, most people make just the wrong move at the wrong time. They'll sell when things are extremely low and they'll buy when there's enthusiasm in the marketplace. And just to help counter that and help yourself, just to provide yourself a little bit of a foundation to not succumb to those mistakes, you know, focus on cash flow. Focus on those returns that are going to be more steady. They're not going to be as volatile. And even if you're looking at real estate as an appreciative asset as opposed to cash flow, chances are the real estate market is going to be a lot more stable than the stock market. And over time, you'll probably have a lot greater chance of hanging in there and seeing your wealth grow as opposed to kicking yourself whenever things go poorly and you do sell and give in to emotions. Yeah, most paper assets like stocks are more about the capital growth, you know, the capital gains than it is about cash flow. Whereas with real estate, you have cash flow. But two of the biggest things that I like about real estate is one, you have the ability to leverage and leverage up to 80% of that acquisition because banks are tripping over themselves to lend you that money, you know, assuming you have good credit, but you can leverage up to 80% of it with other people's money and only use 20% of your own. So leverage is a big factor because you can't get that in other asset classes. And the other big thing too is with real estate, you have these amazing tax benefits through depreciation over 27 and a half years that again, you can't get with most other investments. I mean, the only thing that I know of that comes even close is is investing in oil and gas investments. I think even exploration offers some great tax benefits. But outside of that, real estate really has become the most attractive asset class, in my opinion. Yeah. And you just talked about that. And we kind of addressed that earlier is that's what helps you achieve those returns that look almost impossible. But really, you factor in the tax benefits, you factor in the fact that someone has leveraged your money, and then someone else, a tenant is going to be paying down that loan, that leverage that you put into the property. And so you achieve those 25% rate of returns on a piece of property just due to those factors. And that's something that you just can't find in the more traditional stock bonds investment market. Yeah. And here's another thing that we didn't even bring up. But you know, a lot of people People are forced to invest in the stock market or Wall Street or various paper assets because of their IRAs and particularly with their 401ks, which is more often than not through their employer. So their employer offers them a 401k plan. They may be forced into it, but they can opt into it. And typically that's where they become trapped. And so they're putting some of their hard earned dollars into these 401k plans. Maybe there's a, a match by their employer and that is just more of a carrot and stick to keep them trapped in this 401k money trap. So now they don't have a choice. They have to invest in what has been quote unquote authorized by their HR department to invest in. And so what are the issues there? 
Well, I think when I'm talking to anyone about this, and oftentimes if someone has caught that real estate bug, they're going to start thinking creatively about where they need to save to buy more properties. And the first conversation piece that comes up, okay, my work retirement plan, you know, I'm saving this amount here. You know, I've been saving diligently over the years. What do I do now? What I advise people to do is, and there is, there's an incentive there usually provided by your employer for you to save into that plan. And generally speaking, they'll give you a match up to a certain percent. And let's just say in an example, maybe they'll match up to the first 5% that you contribute to your 401k. What I tell people to do is I always tell them, and this can be up for debate as well, but I say that's going to be free money, even though you're tying it into a product that you can't access that money really theoretically until probably age 59 and a half. That's going to be free money that can grow for you over time. So at least take that 100% return that they're giving you. And as soon as you hit that point where they're not going to match, let's start thinking creatively about other ways we can save to buy those other products, to buy that real estate that you're looking at. But if you have the free money on the table, I always advise to take it. But then at that point, when you have that cutoff, then start refocusing your savings to other vehicles. Yeah, well said. Yeah, the problem with these retirement plans is there's very limited flexibility. The income is taxable on withdrawal and you know, you're forced to be in the plan up to a certain age and then you're forced to withdraw it by another age, which I think is 71 and a half. Correct. And all's not lost. I will throw this in there too, that even though there is this kind of forced savings into these plans, if you're one of these people who are looking at stepping away a little bit earlier from the normal retirement age and say you're targeting maybe 50, if you do have your money tied up into qualified plans, such as an IRA, there is a IRS code, it's rule 72T that allows you to set up that annuity before age 59 and a half. So in essence, you're taking required minimum distributions before the preset age. As long as you continue to take them, they won't charge you that penalty. So in essence, the way I like to look at that is this is another pool of assets that you can annuitize at some point down the line, and that'll be another source of passive income to supplement what you have in your real estate portfolio and and other items as well. Yeah, so that's all good advice, you know, taking the match because that's 100% return, it's free money, even though it's trapped until, you know, 59 and a half. But some of the issues with 401ks, and I've been trying to convince my next door neighbor about this because he is heavily vested in his 401k, but you know, you have no insurance. There's nothing to cover you or protect you from a stock market crash. If you're driving a car, you have insurance to protect you there. If you uh, have a house, you have property insurance. So you have insurance, but you can't insure yourself in a 401k. You know, second, the taxes work against you. When you do eventually draw that money out, regardless of what your return is, you're taxed as ordinary income, not as portfolio income or even passive income. So you're going to get whacked. And the thing is, is a lot of financial advisors will say, well, that's okay because you're going to be in a lower tax bracket when you retire. I I hate when I hear that because (laughs) that's assuming that you plan to live a lesser lifestyle when you retire than what you're living today. I want to live a more expensive, lavish lifestyle when I quote unquote retire. I don't want to be in a low tax bracket because I have a low income. I want to have a high income. I want to go and enjoy myself. So, and you know, kind of a third thing too is that, you know, 401ks seem to be good for people who are unknowingly planning to be poor when they retire because of what I just said, you know, when it comes to the taxation. Yeah. And uh, I hate that general assumption that you're going to go into retirement. And what happens, and there's another rule of thumb that's used in the planning industry, they call it the 80% rule. They just automatically assume that when you hit retirement, you're going to spend 
about 80% of what you were bringing in. I don't want that to be the case for myself. I don't want that to be the case for my clients. I want you to live a life in retirement or when you do step away, hopefully sooner than the traditional retirement age, I want you to be able to enjoy yourself. You know, take an extra vacation, do some things to help out your family, give to charity, do what you want to do, but set the foundation, set that framework up early so yeah, that you can enjoy yourself later. I don't like that theory that gets floated around there as well. It drives me a little bit nuts. Let's move on to a couple of questions that you actually emailed me that were frequently asked questions that you get from your clients when it's related to financial planning and real estate investing. In no particular order here, I'll just read them off. One of them was, should I stop investing my 401k and direct all my savings towards real estate holdings? I think you just touched upon this, but do you have anything else you want to add to that? No, I think what I said previously probably hits the spot on here is that if you do get a match at work, it's kind of crazy to give up that free money, but I would suggest save up to the match and then start saving up. Elsewhere. I think there's some other opportunities out there that are just going to help you diversify your income streams. So just start thinking a little bit more creatively about what you, where you want to direct your, your money after you hit that match. Okay. What are some risks posed by real estate investing that you won't find in more traditional stock and bond markets? I think we've talked a little bit about this as well. And then pretty much with any investment you put your money into, and, and really with any purchase you put your money into, there's going to be some risks involved. You could buy this nice TV that you're looking at and you've been researching for a while. And in fact, this is a little tangent, but I remember reading just earlier this year, there was a study done that more Americans, they spend more time each year researching their next TV purchase than they do their financial future. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's horrible. We need to get on a different track there. But with any investment, there's going to be some risk. So with real estate, there's obviously some risks too that are a little bit different than the traditional stock and bond markets. I think probably the biggest risk you're looking at is the liquidity risk. So when this money goes into a real estate purchase, you have to think about this as being a long-term holding. With stocks, with bonds, with any mutual funds you're going to buy, you can generally turn those over pretty quickly. If you do need the money, an emergency pops up. But with real estate, think of this as a long-term holding. It's not something that's going to be as liquid as might be the case in a standard portfolio. Yeah, very true. You know, when you're investing in paper assets, I often refer to it as push-button investing because you could literally do it within seconds. <laughs> and that causes bad behavior. It really does. Yeah, it does. It's like sitting in front of a slot machine in Vegas. You just keep pulling the handle, <laughs> hoping you're going to hit something. <laughs> Exactly. All right. So you have another one here. I've spent 15 years saving into retirement plan accounts, but recently shifted my priorities to passive income and early retirement. What can I do with all that money tied up in these accounts? Well, I think first you need to look at the account structure. And first, I'll congratulate anyone who's at this point, because that does mean that you've kind of gotten into real estate and you've gotten excited about it. So you're starting to think more creatively. So I applaud you for that. But if you get to this point, and many clients do, where they get that bug, they want to start pulling money out of their retirement accounts to fund the next real estate purchase. Just make sure you step back, understand the rules that are in place there. Generally speaking, you're going to have two types of retirement vehicles that have rules attached to them. You're going to have the Roth IRA and you're going to have the traditional IRA. The traditional IRA, generally speaking, it's going to say that you can't take money out until age 59 and a half. Otherwise, you're subject to a 10% penalty in addition to the income taxes you're going to have to pay on those distributions. So if you have a $100,000 IRA after the 10% penalty after the taxes, that might turn into a $65,000 cash holding. So that's a significant drop in account value. Now, what's different with the Roth IRA, if you're working with the Roth IRA, you have a little bit more flexibility. And so with the Roth, anything that you contribute into a Roth account, and let's just say over the past 10 years, maybe you've saved a cumulative amount of $50,000 into your Roth. And the account value now, since it's grown, maybe it'd be about $75,000. You can always take out that principal, that contribution amount that you contribute to that account, penalty-free and tax-free. So that 50000 that you've contributed to your Roth account, 
you can pull out free and clear and use towards other purchases. And I've done that with clients. I've done that myself. So uh, that's something just to keep in mind. There's a little bit more flexibility with the Roth IRA if you have one of those in hand than there is with some of the other retirement vehicles. Sure. Okay. So as we wind things up here, you know, I have to ask this question. What kind of advice can you give our listeners that are working with financial planners and financial advisors right now and they're looking to branch off, switch, or maybe just expand into real estate investing? What kind of advice can you give them in working with their financial advisor? This can be a tough one. And a lot of times people have a long relationship with their financial planner that they've been working with. And if that financial advisor is not willing to recommend that they go into real estate assets or think a little bit more creatively, and that's the direction that you want to head as an investor, I think you just need to be honest with yourself. Step back, evaluate whether or not their values are lining up with where you want your future to head. And if not, you know, sometimes that separation is warranted. Now, I will tell people if you're on the fence and you're looking for guidance and you want someone to help you kind of put that financial chaos that you have that is your world in some kind of organized fashion, but you want someone who can speak intelligently about real estate investments, there's an organization and network that I'm a part of. It's called NAPFA, N-A-P-F-A, National Association of Personal Financial Advisors. The thing about this organization is they cater only to people who charge. It's a fee-only model. So advisors that are using that commission base or using that AUM-only base can't be a part of this organization. So it opens up the advisors to thinking a little bit more creatively. And within this organization, there's actually some people who specialize in real estate investments. So in order to try to find someone locally, maybe that you want to work with or speak to about helping you with your financial planning and also is on that trajectory towards putting you in real estate, you can go to their website and I think they have a find an advisor search tool under there. And they actually have a box under the advanced search where you can check real estate investments and it'll link you up with someone in your local neighborhood, hopefully, that has some specialization in real estate. So there's not a lot of us out there, but uh, I think there's a few. You might be surprised that there are some other people out there fighting the good fight. Yeah, which is what makes you quite different because as far as I know, financial advisors, financial planners cannot get compensated on the real estate side if they're making any recommendations in terms of real estate, unless, of course, they're licensed within their state. There's certain exceptions to the rule, but that just basically says that there's no financial benefit to them recommending that you as a client go out and build a portfolio of real estate. Is that true or am I wrong there? Absolutely true. And if someone is charging just fee per service or they're charging by the hour, they should really have no incentive to dismiss someone's interest in real estate. So hopefully it would be the case that if someone's really looking honestly and subjectively at your accounts and your financial positioning, if you want to take that real estate route, if they can't provide you the expertise to help you out, then they should probably at least refer you to someone else that can. All right. So that's the best scenario is where they're actually looking at you as a client and looking out for your best interest, regardless of what the recommendations are. So that's a per hour fee or a retainer fee of some sort. Exactly. Yeah. That's because Coming a growing trend. I hope it does continue, but that does. It helps take all the conflicts of interest off the table, right? which is what we need more of. Yeah, I agree. Okay. So my last question here is a little bit of a crystal ball question because I don't know what your thoughts and feelings are in terms of where we're going with the equities market. I'm still scratching my head and a little surprised to see that we have seen the amount of growth in the stock market at these super inflated levels. And so I, I think there's a big correction coming. But my question to you is this, 
what advice would you give to those people that have large holdings and therefore a large exposure in the stock market today? My advice is, and, and you're definitely right, if you look at historical valuations, right now we're sitting at a premium of roughly 20 to 35% in the U.S. markets. International is a little bit more fairly valued, so you could shift some of your focus there. But honestly, I have no objections to taking a little bit of those profits off the table. So if you feel more comfortable, obviously you can't time markets. I'm not here to tell you to time markets, but if it makes you sleep a little better at night and you want to pull just a little bit of those profits off the table, maybe cut back and hold about 25% in cash. If it makes you feel better, I have no objections to doing that. And I encourage people just to at least have that conversation with their advisor. Does it make sense to take a little bit off the table right now since we are at such high levels? And honestly, if it comes back to the fact that you're going to be less stressed by doing so, then absolutely that's the right move to make. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But it does scare me. These valuations right now do scare me a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise. It's interesting. We're getting calls from people who have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars parked in various paper assets, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and to some degree, some notes. But you know, they're looking to make a shift and they want to make a shift into hard assets, be it precious metals, be it whatever. But you know, real estate is the best hard asset out there because it generates regular income. So we're seeing more and more people thinking about it and talking to us about it. So I'm glad that people are waking up and making moves in this direction. Yeah, me too. I hope that continues. Yeah. So Brent, thank you for your time. This has been great. I'm sure we can drill down and talk about all kinds of things related to this. And maybe we'll do that down the road in the future here. But for now, can you tell our listeners where they can find you and how they can get more information about your company and what you do? Absolutely. You can find me and probably the best way to get in touch with me if you want to see more about what I do is through my website. And so my company is called IntelliVest and that's no I, it's just N-T-E-L-L-I-V-E-S-T dot com. And I have my services. I have a lot of good resources out there too. If you want to look, I think I have you referenced on my site for real estate investments as well. There's a lot of good information there. And if you want to schedule just a call with me, I'm always happy to talk to anyone. Currently, I'm only registered in the state of Pennsylvania to work with clients here, but I'm looking to expand that. But I'm always open to just having a conversation. I love this stuff. I love talking about it. So if anyone has any questions or just wants to talk further, is kind of curious, feel free to reach out. Great. We'll put that in the show notes too. So it'll be easy for people to find and click on. Perfect. So Brent, thank you for your time. And we will be talking to you again soon. Well, Marco, thanks for having me. This has been fun. I appreciate it. Thank you. So how often do you have financial advisors open up like that and just expose the truth? I mean, it doesn't happen very often because most of them are tied to the compensation. And really, that's a conflict of interest. I think it's not in the best interest of the investor, their client. I think it's in the best interest of the financial advisor. But most people don't have a financial education. And so when it comes to investing and building a solid retirement, you know, they blindly turn their money over to people who they believe are financial experts. And these are people like financial planners and financial advisors and bankers and stockbrokers. But the reality is, is that real investors don't park their money and they don't do it lightly. You know, they move their money. It is a strategy known as the velocity of money. And true investors always keep their money moving, acquire new assets, build on their portfolio, and then acquire even more assets. And so only amateurs park their money. And and this is the whole concept of saving. You know, as Robert Kiyosaki says, savers are losers. And the reason they're losers is because parked money gets eroded and eaten away by inflation. So there are much better ways to invest for your 
retirement. If you have a good financial advisor, good for you. If you don't, maybe you should start asking questions, some hard questions and seeing who really they're looking out for. But everybody requires some financial education and I encourage you to continue to build that financial education. You're doing so by listening to this show, but learn about everything you can and you don't have to be an absolute expert. Just be literate, have a financial IQ. And then you could build on your retirement plans and build your financial freedom and increase your cash flow. Anyway, that's it for today's episode. If you have any questions for me about real estate investing, you can submit them to me at PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. Just click on Ask Marco. If you want a free strategy session because you're thinking about getting into real estate investing or you want to diversify your existing portfolio or build your existing portfolio, you know, by all means, reach out to us and set up a free strategy session with one of our investment counselors. Just go to our website at NoradaRealEstate.com. And while you're there, if you haven't downloaded our free report, The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing, you know, be sure to download that ebook. It's a 40-some page paper that kind of covers all of our investment strategies and philosophies in a very concise way. And if you're new to the show, remember to subscribe. We would love to keep you as a listener. And if you subscribe, you'll just know about each episode as they come out every week. And so that's it. So thanks for listening. And we will see you next week on our next episode. Are you on track to achieve your financial goals? Income-producing real estate is the most historically proven way to accumulate wealth and has created more financial freedom than any other means. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best turnkey cash flow rental properties. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly income. Get your free strategy session with our knowledgeable investment counselors at noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights in media interviews, please contact the host.